Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to a new review, this time with a newer movie, um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, produced by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Now, I actually have three guests with me today. Um, One is a surprise, but Andrew and Tommy are back, so say hello, you guys. Hello, Hello, you guys. You guys. And I have a new guest with us today, um, Tommy's brother. Say your name. Hayden Rankin. Yeah, Hayden. So, yeah, all four of us Rankin boys are here today. It's exciting that we're all here doing this, like, together. Yeah, because we had, we had talked about doing it at one point, and I know you had expressed to me that you wanted to be on, and I was totally okay with that. Um, it was just getting to a point where we could actually get you to watch the movie and then have enough time to then do a podcast is just, the logistics of that are just ridiculous. But we finally were able to have you on. Um, and so now we're all finally here and we watched this movie just a little bit ago. Um, and we had this on the schedule a while back, uh, when I first talked to Corbin, when we knew that he was going to be out for a few weeks. So how did you guys hear about this movie? I guess we're kind of going around in a circle. Um, how did Tommy, how did you hear about this? Okay. So I'm going to start off by saying I had these books as a kid. There's like three or four volumes. I, I really haven't followed them in the past, like 10 years, but like, I know I knew of three volumes that I had, and um, I guess back in like I think before quarantine, um, I I got the news that this was going to be uh, released in September. So I didn't really know whether or not I was going to be able to see it in theaters uh, because of all that has been happening. Uh, so I just kind of waited for the straight to, or I don't even think it was straight to DVD. Um, I just kind of waited for the DVD to come out, and I'm just excited that I finally got to see it. I wanted to tie it in with the book if I could, and um, I wasn't really disappointed with how it was played out, but we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Hayden? How did you hear about this movie, or did you, before we watched it? Yeah, Um. so I'd seen, uh, I guess you'd call it trailers of it, and I remembered the books when I was little, but I didn't read them as much as Tommy had, and then I didn't really get... uh as hyped about it until Tommy started talking heavily about it and like his excitement kind of well influenced me getting excited for it so that's where my inspiration came from gotcha okay Andrew how about you when you put it on the schedule okay fair enough <laughs> all right so you never heard about this no I haven't I really haven't gotten it I, I know obviously the book I've right. read the book I just didn't know there was a movie going on until Alan put it on the schedule and then I was like what is this and then I started remembering things and the thing is like I if I would have seen this without Guillermo uh, del Toro's name on it, I would immediately think, okay, this is not going to be good. Uh, but because his name was on that, it, it gave me a little bit of hope. And you will yeah. definitely see uh, Guillermo de, uh, del Toro's um, hand in this. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess uh, how I had heard about it, um, how did I hear about this? I knew about, like you had mentioned, the the books that it came out. I think there was also a TV show on it because it was that and Tales from the Crypt and Goosebumps. Those were the three kind of big, scary stories for um, you know kids, yeah, young back in the, kids. Back in the 90s, yeah, like, yeah. it was huge. I didn't ever read any of them, but I did. I do know about them. You didn't read Goosebumps? Well, Goosebumps I read, like oh. a couple of issues. Goosebumps, but... me and Alan 
Oh, we had them in the basement. Yeah. They were in the bookshelf. That's right. Yeah, we had a couple of issues. But yeah, I never really... Uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. I never really got into that. Um, now when I, I never, I don't think how I remember or how I heard about this. I think Corbin may have mentioned it to me. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Corbin had mentioned it to me, but I hadn't seen it. I heard like nothing about it. And up until he finally watched it, I still have heard like hardly anything about it. So I saw Gamer Del Toro's name on it, but that was about as far as it goes for me. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's my, um, take on it. I haven't really, you know. I haven't really heard too much about this movie outside of it, you know, being released just a, just a little bit ago. Right. And I and I will say uh, this. These books were like what were read during our third grade sleepovers I had with my friends. Like we, we'd read these at like 2 a.m. We'd be hyped up on some energy drink. And then we'd do that when we were all, you know, kind of on edge already. And it, it was effective. These books are not child friendly. I cannot believe that you'd find them at your scholastic book fair, your, your elementary scholastic book fair. Like I, I, I'd asked my mom, like, can we please get this? And she like looked, she looked at some of the pictures and she was immediately just mortified. Like, what is this doing here? Yeah. <laughs> this, the pictures in these books, man, the, the artists, it's all pencil drawings. They are disturbing. They're and I was in third grade and I was just, I was so like, I just, I was driven to like get these books just because I, it was just new. It was like a shock factor. I think it's what okay. really caused me to get these books. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even Goosebumps, like I, from what I remember, Goosebumps was also kind of you know, pushing that label, you know, it was pushing it to a point where, you know, it was made, what made it scary was that it was kind of out of the ordinary um, and, and stuff. And so scary stories in the dark, from what I understand, and maybe you can correct me, Tommy, it sounds like it was a more like adult version of Goosebumps because looking back on it, Goosebumps is brother is really tame. Um, it's kind of writing on like certain elements of uh, fears of childhood, right? Where scary stories from seeing the movie now, um, it seems like they're playing something a bit different. It sounds like they're going down a more a mature route. Am I right on that? Yeah, the difference between these uh, the the collections of uh, scary stories to tell in the dark and the Goosebumps books was the Goosebumps were like twelve chapters of the same story centered around the same characters, while scary stories to tell in the dark the stories in the book had no correlation with each other. Okay, they were all completely different. They're like a collection essentially, and each volume had about like maybe 12 to 15. And I, I don't know if that's correct. Maybe mm -hmm. it could have been like 10 or below, but I just remember there's quite a bit in each book and they had no correlation with each other. They were just simple story collections. Okay. Well, let's take a look at some scores and some money here. So I, I guess the scores are kind of all over the place a little bit, not like, you know, super crazy, but uh, IMDb at a 6.2, which is uh, I guess surprisingly low compared to the other scores that are here. Um, Metascore at a 61, which is in the green. Rotten Tomatoes score at a high, surprisingly high, 78% in uh, critic, or sorry, 78% critic score, 72% audience score. Cinema score at a C, that's just disappointingly low, and a letterbox at a 2.8. So they, it looks like Metascore and Rotten Tomatoes score seem to be rather high. Critics seem to like it a little bit more than audiences do. Audiences don't look to be very, uh, I guess, not very tied to it. They're not really, from what I'm seeing here, they're not having the same opinions as the, as the critics. Let's take a look at some money here. Budget of $28 million, um, which for a movie this size, I guess that's about right. Um, opening weekend got $20.9 million, which is almost its budget, which is kind of what you're going for. Um, domestically, overall, it made $68.9 million. Internationally, it made $26.7 million with for a worldwide total of 
almost 100 million, 95.6 million. So it more than made its money back. And as I already know, they're already in production to make uh, the sequel. Um, so yeah, I, in reality, I'm surprised that it made as much money as it did. I was not expecting it because when it did come out, I mentioned this in previous podcasts, when it did release, I heard like nothing about it. And so usually that means not some, that doesn't mean very good things to me if I don't hear much about it. But judging by money, apparently a lot of people did go to see it. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get into some spoiler talk here. So you have been warned. This is now the spoiler territory. If you haven't seen uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, last I checked, it was relatively cheap on Amazon um, to buy the Blu-ray. That's how I snagged it. If you want to, you can pause the podcast and come back. You know, podcasts usually do save your place. So you'll be able to listen to us talk about the film. But from here on out, we are talking spoilers. It's Halloween 1963. Three friends, Stella, Augie, and Chuck, play a prank on the school bully and jock, Tommy. Filling a bag with poo instead of candy, the three go on the run once he takes the bait. Running to a nearby drive-in theater, meet Ramon, a new guy who has just happened to roll into town a few hours prior. They are able to evade the jocks and decide to go to a real haunted house for fun. The long story behind this haunted house is that it was once held by a rich family. One of the members, Sarah, was wrongly accused and locked in the basement, and people would come from far and wide to hear her tell a story. Stella finds a book containing Sarah's stories that she used to tell, but later she finds a newly written story with the title of Harold. As she reads it aloud, the events begin to unfold on Tommy as he gruesomely takes the place of a scarecrow he hates at his house. Then later on, another story is written, titled The Big Toe. Stella immediately calls Augie to warn him, but it's too late. He finds a toe in his stew and is stalked by a ghoul while alone in his house. Augie is dragged underneath his bed, never to be seen again. Stella, Ramon, and Chuck then head to a nearby hospital in search of Sarah's hospital records. They find out that Sarah's family was poisoning the town's water supply with mercury and that she was tortured when she tried to reveal the truth. Because of this, she was also wrongly accused by her brother, who was a doctor, that she was, in fact, clinically insane. While Stella and Ramon uncover this, Chuck is trying to outrun the hospital security but finds himself being entrapped by the Pale Lady, another story also being written in the book. Eventually, the four Pale Ladies surround Chuck and absorb him, ending in a very similar fate to Augie. Stella and Ramon are then arrested and put into holding cells. But another story is written, this time it's Ramon's turn. Me Taidote Walker, the creature screams. The pair escape the police station and make it to Sarah's house. Stella reveals that she knows the truth to Sarah and promises to tell it so long as she stops hurting people. Sarah concedes and the monster stops hunting Ramon. Later on, Ramon accepts his enlistment as Stella, her father, and Chuck's sister hit the road to find their lost friends, Augie and Chuck, as credits roll. Okay, so let's start off with this just this opening scene. Um, did you guys get... I don't know, it vibes off of this opening scene because I feel like I sure did. It, I, yeah. It's, yep. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. It looks and feels like an it kind of scenario. To quote from my notes, this movie already gives off heavy it vibes. Yeah. A small town and everything. This is a small town in Pennsylvania, not a small town in Maine, or what is it, Rhode Island? What does Stephen King do? Uh, he does Maine. Maine. He does Maine, Maine. Yeah. yeah. Now, this takes place in Pennsylvania, but it's a small town and... Uh, I love small town settings. I was drawn in immediately because of it. Yeah. What about you, Andrew Hayden? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It showed the it showed different scenes of the town in a very active town, and people are out and about, like kids riding their bikes, people out shopping. It's it's and uh, it right off the bat. Um, Andrew was talking about this, but the color grade is very orange and brown, mm-hmm. and you know the, the fall kids, colors. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And uh, the it kids really are, pops. Yeah, they're yeah. walking around with their um, Letterman jackets on, and it's just yeah. Very yeah. They're communicating via um, 
walkie-talkie to each other, not yep. texting, obviously. 1968, you didn't have it. Okay, who all here has seen Halloween, the original John Carpenter Halloween? I have. You have? Okay, so Tommy has. You have, Andrew? No. Okay, hey, never you. Nope. Okay, so <laughs> just me no, and Tommy. I've then. seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was raising my hand. Well, you could have said yes. Well, I didn't. I was raising my hand. So, I mean, I got Halloween vibes, but that's just because it's also small town setting. Um, did you also get those kind of vibes? I, I mentioned it a second ago because it's probably one of the more recent examples of a popular like small town uh, horror movie. Yes, definitely. I just uh, Halloween, I always see first and foremost as a slasher movie. That's fair. Yeah. So I didn't as much as I would it because uh, the difference between it and Halloween was it was supernatural and mm. Halloween was a physical person just with a mask on, you know. Um, and with scary stories to tell in the dark, everything is um, very mythical and fantasy-like. And so um, that's why I kind of lean more towards it than I do with uh, Halloween. Right. Yeah. So in this opening scene, we were introduced to a, a lot of characters, actually. We were introduced to the jocks, uh, our main character, Stella, and her three friends. Oh, let me think. See if I can hopefully I can remember Chuck these names. Chuck Aggie. Augie. Chuck Aggie and Ramen uh, Noodles. Ramon. So you Ramon. Ramon. Yeah. And we've also got Ruth. Uh, she's the sister to Chuck. Um, so that's technically five, six characters, because we also kind of get the dad uh, to Stella, Stella's dad. So that's about six characters we're introduced to here in the first few minutes, which is a lot of characters to be introduced to. Um, but you know, yeah, like you said, Andrew, they kind of talk over walkie-talkie. Not necessarily over text. Maybe it was you, Tommy. That said I wasn't. That. I said that. That's right. You I said that. Joke I said we were playing reruns of the uh, election. Give me credit where credits due, please. Yeah. So yeah, so we kind of get the strong sense of you know a small town, small enough where they can, where you know friends can talk over walkie-talkie to each other um, and stuff. Which is because this does come back into play later. But yeah, we do get to see in this opening, you know, in this opening, it's setting up the small town and everything. Um, we kind of get not, not too far into the opening, but we do get to go into the, I guess, the haunted house that starts this whole thing. Um, but that will come in a second. We're also introduced to Ramon. Um, what do you guys think about the introduction to Ramon? Because at first I was thinking whatever, you know, but then when things started happening, um, I started to get kind of suspicious of Ramon just because, you know, he's a, he's a new character comes from comes from somewhere um, and he sleeps in his car, you know, it, I think it kind of builds up, at least from what I was seeing, kind of builds up Ramon to be a suspicious character. What do you guys think? I feel like, oh, I feel like it, uh, the suspicion didn't last as long as I thought they'd make it out to be because you kind of get the, uh, excuses for what's going on mm -hmm. pretty early, kind of. So I felt like it was more or less, uh, oh, here's a character that you can you can have something to have while we're still in act one, but when act two starts, he's kind of thrown out the window and you already have your answer. Right. Right. That was a pretty cheesy intro. Uh, well, like maybe it was some of the dialogue, but I think his introduction was just very, very well mysterious, but played yeah. out to be the full extent that they could with, I, I don't know. It started off with just his, uh, him talking to them and then the, Hey man, you live in here? Shut up! And takes back talk about him living in his car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it it just seemed like they they just wanted this mysterious character, and they did everything in their power to make him mysterious. Well, that you, was uh, well, that was my a lot of my problems with uh, a lot of the characters. Seems pretty a stereotypical setup. So we yeah. have our da -da 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 -da, our outgoing girl that kind of just starts stuff. 
And then we have the kid who cares too less and the kid who cares too much, and that would be Augie and Chuck. Right. And then we have the cool, mysterious kid who comes out of town, and then we have the bullies. Right. And those bullies, man, they tried so hard to be oh, Stephen King material. They did. That His name is Tommy, and even <laughs> though we have the same name, Tommy I, Milner. I did not relate to him. He, man, he, he tried so hard. I'm going to tell you that right now. Well, I, half- he, he did not captivate me. I sat there pretty much mocking him the entire yeah. time. Half of the time we were introduced to him, he was drunk, so. That, that too. But he's just yeah. like, you know, he has the baseball bat. He's up against Ramon's car there at the uh, the drive-in movie theater where they're all trying to hide from them because they pulled a prank on him and all that. He doesn't like it. So he's up there. He's, he's like, he's, just starts throwing like very verbally abusive things towards Stella, the girl, the main girl in this movie. He's like, your mommy left you. And she's like, shut up. And he's like. I'm going to beat you up or something like that. And he's got a baseball bat. And then by the time, you know, the manager kicks him out, he leaves all tipsy. And she's, she's like crying on the hood of the car and, you know, kind of delivers her character development there. Right yeah, there. But, a lot of this act one is just either exposition or introduction, right? which is what act one should be. Don't get me wrong, but it's everywhere. But it's like, it's like the director. I mean, the writers were like, force feeding you a meal that you didn't really well the editor you wanted to to, yeah you wanted the meal to like taste good but the the writers are like here eat eat a bucket full and then just you know yeah Yeah, and the editor was doing the exact same thing because we were cutting out things that we didn't exactly have to see we can fill it in with our own heads. like what so like when they were handing over the bat he was like give me the bat right before they hit harold or the scarecrow whatever he right as he's saying the line they cut to him having the bat like poop Mm. nothing okay. nothing yes. really in between so and mm. then there's another one i said keep the pit moving keep the pit to moving? keep it moving oh okay um uh, no uh another one was well this isn't part of the introduction but the uh when they're in the hospital looking for sarah's stuff it that instantly finds sarah's stuff without even a question yeah so that was just it felt like it picked up in Act One, or it's just like the editing's just like, here's the stuff you need to see and you need to know. The rest you can fill in your head. And then Act Two slowed it down, and then it picked back up in Act Three. We're like, oh, you need to know stuff, so we're gonna make sure you know it and see it. Yeah. So I do kind of want to come back to kind of what Hayden had said, uh, and I guess we kind of went off on a. I guess we did kind of talk about a little bit of it here, um, but the dialogue we've kind of been talking about is some. Some of it seems to be. Um, what would you guys call it stereotypical uh for a movie like this maybe um expo- like way exposition heavy um do i am i correct in this is that what kind of what we were all thinking the dialogue's just kind of you know i will say um and i keep going back to it because the dialogue between those kids with each other um are hilarious yeah very well done very well written however in this one it's like they were trying to be funny they were trying to um really display their abilities way too hard and i i don't know i it didn't sell me it really didn't Mm -hmm. there were some parts that i thought were genuinely funny but then some of the dramatic more high tense intensity parts it just felt super it felt like something i could have written in the 8th grade i'm like all right here's the stressor and here's the dialogue that has to match it and we're just going to be so explicit with what we have to say and yeah. just say it in the most dramatic and slow and drawn out way that we can yeah 
There were times that uh, we weren't able to stay with something. We had to talk about it and through it. With, oh, yeah. yeah. With our main character, Stella. Yeah. It felt like she was leading the uh, whole charge on everything that was going on for the most part. So let me ask this question. Then. Do you think that was maybe by design? Do you think that maybe they took a, the more stereotypical dialogue kind of like with it? Um, maybe going down that same route that it went down, you know, trying to be a little bit more witty with its dialogue, trying to be, you know, more, I guess, it, it's going for a crowd that is younger than us, I would say. Um, and this is rated PG-13. So, I mean, what do you, th- what do you guys think? Do you think what that was, maybe... What was the time for it? How long was it? And at two hours, 15. Okay, 2.15. So we're, okay. we're 45 minutes over what we just had. And I felt like they had a lot to say within before stuff started happening yeah. and i felt like they might have too much for the runtime that they had they could have ex- what was it an hour 45 that this movie was yeah about an hour 45 i think mm, i mean that's a decent runtime but i mean they could have with del toro they probably could have extended that maybe but well, I, okay back to my original question though what do you guys think do you think that this dialogue was by by design or do you think that uh like they, like they were trying to emulate this kind of this style of of dialogue and then acting. Do you think that that was on purpose, or do you think that even if it was on purpose, um, you just don't like it either either way? Or what, what do we? What do you think? Good, good dialogue could completely. Good dialogue could be in effect while still having the same chemistry. Because what yeah. I liked between uh, Augie and what was the other kids? Chuck. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, they had it was a good voice of reason that was balanced in there because it was the one was really stressed out about this and the other one was trying to calm him down and be like, yo, this isn't what's happening. And so there was a good balance there. And so while that can still be in their nature of being the voice of reason, being the overreactor, being the one who's leading the charge, like Andrew said, good dialogue still could have been put into place to give off that emotion or set these characters up to be in this area, but not being so cheesy. Um, so for example, Stella, uh, when leading the charge, she gives the entire backstory to Sarah in five minutes yeah. in some cheesy dialogue that oh could have God, been yeah. so much more scary than her just, and I was just, I was just watching this. I'm like, this has so much potential. This has such a good story behind it. Mm-hmm. Why did we just break the entire, or just explain the entire thing in five minutes to, um, uh, Ramon. 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 That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and. Yeah, I don't know. Some some of the balances were strong, but just n- poorly performed. It's funny. It's like every time she would give that exposition, or that she, when she gave that exposition for uh, the Sarah story right there in the house, like as soon as they, it's, it was wild. The pacing, like they they meet Ramon, the the uh, the bullies come, Tommy comes, and they're like, uh, we're drunk, we get, we get kicked out, and they leave. Then she's like, all right, well, you guys want to go to a haunted house? It's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're in a haunted, they're going into this house. And she's like, she gives the entire story, like you had, like Hayden had just said. And it's almost as if she broke the fourth wall, looked at this and says, now remember that. It'll come back later. And right. then goes back to what, you know, what we're, cause it's like, it's just forced. Yeah. And this is also kind of cliche for horror movies, just kind of in general, um, especially ones that come more from the 90s. Um, because they have some kind of history with wherever place, whatever place they're in, there is always some kind of history, usually hidden in the basement. Um, this movie out there, Cabin in the Woods, like harkens on this heavily, where it's playing with those cliches, right? So I'm thinking maybe I think to a certain extent that they're also doing something like that here, where they're playing up these cliches on purpose, but at the same time, 
uh, it sounds like, you know, well, this has already kind of been done, maybe with maybe with it beforehand. Um, so, you know, what what makes this movie that special then if there are if they're you know trying to emulate something that came before it, um, what makes this one as spe- more special or unique to other movies of this kind? And that was the problem I was having because I was starting to drift, not drift off. I was starting to get less attached to it as they ended up in the basement of the haunted house because I was like, we have three, our three main characters are stereotypical with the add on of the Roman. Then we have our bullies who is also typical. And it seems like the setting and what they're setting up to be has already been done before. And right. I was waiting for something special to happen, which it kind of did. It finally took place when they were in the house. And that's what, kept me paying attention because I was waiting for something to happen. And then the kid goes in the closet, Chuck goes in the closet and comes back out. And I'm like, okay, finally something different. But other than that, they just had issues with um, just repeating what people who have seen multiple horror movies, they just keep repeating what uh, has been done. And there was nothing special up right. until then. Right. Right. I feel like there's a lot of flaws in the script. I could have been working out if they had a little bit longer screen time or they could have, you know, chopped some characters out. Mm. But then again, they were telling three different stories. How many stories did they tell? Four, uh, five, five, I think five, five, five I different stories. Well, no, it was one for every main character. So there's one for, uh, for Stella, one for Ramon, one for Chuck, one for Ada, and we had one for Ruth. The, and for the bully. We had Harold. So that's six. We had, yeah. We had Harold, oh, my the word. big toe, um, oh, Harold too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The well, no, that's, spot, that was the bully. Yep. The red spot. Me, Taido, Tai Walker. And um, there's actually, I can't remember. I think it was like the, oh, shoot. What is the name of the chunky lady in the, it's like the wind. This is Dream. Window. Yeah, the red Whatever room. Whatever is, yeah, the, the red dream. Room. Yeah, the red room. The red room. But yeah. that that was the story uh, based off of the short story in the books called The Dream. And then. It's actually wild. Like I will, we'll elaborate on this later, like towards the end. Uh, but Sarah's story actually emulates one of the stories as well. Okay. Um, and it's actually to me one of the, like the more well written stories in the book. Okay. I think the longest one too. It, but it, it freaked me out. Yeah. It, it did. Yeah. We'll come back to those stories in a second. Um, I guess before we go to the stories, I do want to talk about uh, some of our characters here because our uh, our four main friends. Um, that being, let me think of how you can do this. Stella, Chuck, Augie, and oh, just three. Ramon. No, Ramon was. Well, Ramon main joins character. them later. Yeah, okay. Ramon joins that group, but in the beginning, it's just those three: yeah. Stella, Augie, yeah. and Chuck. And we do get to see how they have some kind of rivalry with the Jock character, um, mostly because uh, Chuck's sister Ruth is dating the Jock. Um, well, so he didn't know that. He didn't know that. No, he said. I, he said that. He knew his sister was going on a date, but not with. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. You're Jack. right. All right, but we learned right. pretty. Uh, but we, yeah, we pretty learned pretty soon. soon that that's a part of it when they were pulling that prank, right? Which is fine that they ran right into um, them already having conniptions. I mean, we already know that there's got to be some bully because, and then the bully's dealing with our main group of kids that we're following. But at least it played it out a little bit differently, like throwing a bag of poop on fire into the car, right? I thought that I thought that was really funny. It's just a lot of different things that I felt could have been, you know, changed just a bit because we've seen it before. Yeah. But yeah. But I, I okay, so I guess my main focus here is, or what I'm trying to get to is uh these three main characters, right? You've got the girl, um, 
usually is the smart girl. She in this in this story is a writer or trying to become more of a writer um, and just having trouble getting herself out there. We find out later that her mom left her dad and her and she blames herself for it. We'll come back to that in a second. And then we've also got the nerdy kid, which is Augie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Augie. And then we've got the, uh, well, I guess what uh, Cabin in the Woods called the stoner kid, although he doesn't really do that here. But he's like, the, he's the goofy friend. Um, and that's and that's Chuck. And so we have these three characters, again, somewhat, uh, somewhat cliche for a story like this. But at the same time, you know, it's more it's more mostly their dynamics that work together. And then, of course, later on, Ramon joins this group. And so they're kind of from what we understand, especially from Stella's character, they're kind of like more of the outcasts of school. Right. Um, Stella, she mentions it straight up on her own and says that she's kind of, you know, she doesn't really have too many friends. She's kind of on her own, more or less. And she has two other friends that she hangs out with. Uh, One of them, again, is the nerd one of the goofy kid. So what do, you guys, what do you guys think about this trio of characters right before Ramon hops on the scene? Um, what, do you, what do you think? Do you think that they play well with each other? Do you think that they work well for the story? Or do you think there are some issues with them? It's like Hayden said, there's like the voice of reason and there's a good balance to it all. Mm-hmm. Because it's been done so many times, it does work. There's obviously two people who are always going to be in conflict with each other and then one person to split them up. But there's like... I liked it because there wasn't as much conflict between the two. It was, but it wasn't like so heavy. It was, mm. it was very light and everything they did was pretty much a joke up until Ramon, Ramon. Yeah. Ramon as up until Ramon started joining in, then serious stuff started happening, but it was probably because, um, they didn't write. I want to say they didn't write the characters so heavy. If that, uh, the characters dialogue between the three so heavy. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, the one thing that I do find impressive is when you can take um, characters that are you, – you show how similar they are rather than how different they are. So it's like you don't want every um, movie to have the um, – what is it? The Breakfast Club? Is that the movie? I, I think yeah, so. Well, no, what I'm, what I'm trying to get it. at is like the differences between those characters and how they play off of each other in that movie. Well, the, it's the same thing with um, – Oh, uh, Cabin in the Woods, how different these characters are. And so each of them has these far strengths and these far weaknesses, which Mm. these weaknesses are picked up by these uh, strengths. And what I find impressive is when you have maybe two characters that are very similar and their strengths are really amplified, but that also causes further downfall. Well, this is is, um, the complete opposite in that you really have these characters that are really developed. This is where they're at, and they're in this friend group, and that it's it's so – uh, outlined and where what place what what part they play right right yeah and and this even comes down to when when you know their stories are being written and you get to see how they die you know it's playing off of their own fears right i think the best example um or one of the one of the one of the one good example is that of of chuck when chuck dies it's you know he says he sets it up earlier where he's like, I don't know if I want to go into the hospital. I had, you know, their dream about the red room is what he says. And then later on, when he you know lets our two our two characters go into the what they call the the red room or red, which is something different. Um, he of course dies in in the hospital. Uh, the alarms go off and the lighting changes to pretty much completely either red or black. And he eventually is consumed by this. I don't even know what to, how. It's describe it. woman. Yeah, it's just it's it's this weird mass of something, some kind of human-looking thing, 
um, that consumes him, right? It's that his fear of dreaming or his fear, his fear that his dream, because he always died in his dream or whatever, it's that fear that, you know, it plays with him because he was always a goofy kid, right? But it's when after so long into the movie, things start to get a lot more serious for him. Um, and he his character completely changes. Another example would also be his sister and her death as well. I think that one's a bit more poignant. Um, playing on these characters' weaknesses when it comes to you say death. his sister died. Sister no, not, not death, but the her story. Her story, yeah. yeah. Because you know she kind we kind of get a little bit of this. Uh, I would say that they're how they die isn't played up as much, uh, I guess, as I was expecting it to be. But yeah, her character being you know somewhat from what we were seeing, somewhat uh, more you know always trying to make herself beautiful and always hanging out with the with the jocks and popular kids. Um, she grows this big pimple on her face. And then when she tries to pop it, uh, a bunch of spiders come out, right? It's definitely playing with that beauty idea. Although I, I wouldn't necessarily call it anything that's, uh, uh, I guess, as I think it's the most poignant story, but it's not necessarily a story that I would find to be, you know, that's what, you know, is defined her character is she's a beauty queen, right? I never really got that from her character. Well, I think it was because it was like the stereotypical things that were set up in this movie. I think it was supposed to be implied, Maybe, More or less yeah. because I think mm, does the same thing happen in it? Um, no, 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 no. Paranorman. It's Paranorman. Okay. Yep. It's completely different. It's the same kind of movie, but Paranorman's the one where it has the sister that's hot that hangs out with the jocks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. But I feel oh, like you said the uh, deaths weren't played out just right. They didn't die, Alan. They're just somewhere else. Didn't you watch the end of the movie? I mean, movie? you're right. Yeah, they do say, well, we can save our other friends. They're out there somewhere. Set but, up for part two. Yeah, that's also the ending, which is, yeah, I set up for part two. Um, okay, well, I guess we can talk about Ramon's uh, story then, because Ramon's story, you know, that monster comes down from the chimney and putting his pieces back together, which is definitely a, uh, resembles his brother, right? His brother is coming after him, calling him a coward for running away. Um, from, you know, being what you should be doing, which is also kind of a, a illegal what he's doing, and as running away from his draft notice. What did you guys think about that? Because that one I felt had more, um, I felt like that one had more emotional weight to it than the other ones did. What do you, uh, at least up until that point, what do you guys think? I feel like that one is the one story that I like the most because out of the whole movie, it felt like the one that was out there a little bit more than, a little bit more developed, kind of. It was a little bit more developed in where it brought a new sense out of them, whereas the other ones, they just had, had fears. And this one was a general real life situation that was taking over. And whereas it wasn't like an effect from the book, whereas but I think the problem was the Stella character could have been good. I think she just had too many things on her plate during this whole movie. Yeah, Mitai Dotai Walker is the story based upon Ramon's fear or uh, Ramon's story, I guess. Yeah. Um, and in that book, I mean, in that story in the book, um, I, I have the picture pulled up right here. Um, it doesn't really look like the character that fell, whose head fell down. However, I know, I understand how they could take it from the story and use it as Ramon's story. Uh, in the in the book, it's a kid, I believe, or a, or a young man and his dog. And he goes and he goes to stay at this house and he's he's laying in the I think he's trying to go to sleep and he hears me Taido Tai Walker singing throughout the walls and he goes down to the living room with his dog and his dog goes to the fireplace and starts uh, staring at the fire pit 
And again, he hears it, Mitaido Tai Walker, and then the dog speaks back in some weird Latin language. It's like very demonic and scary. And again, I can't believe it's in a in a uh, oh wait, no, that's definitely not <laughs> that's definitely not Latin. Then suddenly the dog perked up and sang Linchi Kinchi Kali Molly Dingo Dingo. So anyway, <laughs> oh, that's Latin. So that's not Latin. Um, that's Latin. So it's wild. The boy, I'm going to read an excerpt from it. The boy could hardly believe his ears. His dog had never uttered a word before. Now it was answering a haunting voice that was in the woods. That That's where it came from, not the walls. He pinched himself to make sure he wasn't dreaming. Uh, a few minutes later, the boy heard the voice singing again, only this time it was closer and louder. Me, Taido, Tai Walker, sang the mysterious voice. The dog answered again, Linchi, Kinchi, Kali, Molly, Dingo, Dingo. Uh, don't know why. And it gets louder and louder to the fact that um, the both the dog and this voice are screaming at each other at this point. And this guy is like freaking out a little bit. And suddenly a bloody severed head fell down from the chimney. It missed the fire and landed right in front of the dog. The dog took one look at it, fell over dead from fright. Then the head turned and stared at the boy, slowly opened his mouth and screamed. And that's where the book tells you to scream. Meet, uh, uh, me, Walker or something like that. And it gives you instructions like to scare your friends that you're, doing it with oh okay um so that's that's kind of like the interactive kid side of things in that book but going back to the movie because now that i gave the uh book excerpt uh that ties into it uh the they definitely use that because there's the policeman's dog however it doesn't sing lynchy kinchy kali molly dingo dingo in the movie but i was listening for it to talk because i knew that that happened and you can kind of hear the dog Repeat me, Taito Tai Walker. If you listen to it, like it's it's Are you growling. About it's rhythm. Yeah. Okay. You can hear it. Yeah. Uh, it, but it never. I don't think in the movie it, you ever hear me, Taito Tai Walker, except for no. The the uh, the head does. Say the head it says it yeah. when he drops in. Yeah. Um. But so a little bit different. But yes, this story, uh, like Andrew had said, has a lot more to it than the others. It really digs deep into Ramon's, um, character. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it definitely does. I, that's why I'm saying that, you know, that one, that this specific story was one of my, I guess one of my favorites was because you get to see how it's his fears and his fears of not wanting to, you know, go into the military um, are being essentially, they're coming back to haunt him, right? Um, through the story. And luckily he's able, he and Parsley Stella are able to overcome that. And he does, at the very end of the story, does follow through with it and does, you know, actually join the military like he was supposed to and stuff. Um, so that, that was why I was saying this is one of, you know, Ramon's story is one of my favorites of this, of this movie is because of that emotional weight that it does bring with it. So and along with uh, along with uh, Ruth's stories as, story as well. Um, but yeah, that's just, those are just my thoughts. Uh, what Chuck, is that his name? Yeah, the, 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 the goofy kid. How yeah. often do we see him eating in that movie? Oh, and then Augie is critiquing him of the things that he's eating, whether it's the ah. sandwich or the, the fries or whatever. And then... How does he go? Oh, He's yeah. No, you're right. consumed by the lady. You're right. Yeah. You were talking about the relationship oh. that instantly hit me because I had down in my Well, I was notes. also thinking of the fact that he was eating stew when uh, Augie's story started because we don't see Augie yeah. eat at all until that point. Yeah. And it's that, just some stew that somebody made is what he said it was. The question that I had written down uh, for the lady in the hospital is why did she consume him? Well, how often is he eating in the story? Right. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So, okay, let's go back then. What about Augie's story? Because Augie's kind of the nerd, right? And it's when he, I guess, eats a toe 
um, that, you know, or that his story is he, eat, he goes to eating some soup and then he has a toe in the soup. Um, what do we think that, you know, what, what do we think that, how does, how does that connect to his character? Do you, do you guys think? Well, I'm going to say right now, I mean, I'll let you go, Andrew, but like I, I gagged <laughs> during that scene <laughs> yeah, yeah. when he pulled the toe out of his mouth from the soup. I was just, I was just, yeah, I, I had to like turn away for a second and I was like, mm. <laughs> so, uh, go ahead, Andrew though. No, it was fine. I just felt like it wasn't really building on anything more or less. Cause it was more building loss on, it was more building on how, the kid, the group of kids, or mostly uh, Roman, Roman, how do you Ramon. say his name? Ramon. Ramon. How Ramon and Stella understood how the book started working, which is just writing stories, and then the stories come to life. It was more or less played on that. It wasn't really played on stinking our character, Augie. It was more or less just a, a story, I felt. Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm just wondering if, like, if you guys saw anything that I didn't, because I, I don't. I don't remember seeing much about Augie, and I maybe it could just be here to be, you know, set up to show that you know our main characters. It's not just the jock, but our main characters are, you know, are very much in danger for what you know, what they've done. It's not just all those who went there, um, or it is all those who went there that are going to have the, are going to be haunted by Sarah at some point. Um, but I think that this shows because this happens after. Uh, after the jocks story happens, his is next. You know, it's not just you know the frames are very much in, in danger, like everybody else. Yeah. So I I was just reading. I'm I've pulled up the stories again just so I can give um, more. What's the word I'm looking for? Accurate uh, representation from the movie and the book. And yeah. Uh, and I'm looking. I was just looking at the big toe and really. They are definitely taking, building their own characters here. They're definitely not taking anything from the books other than like the creatures from the books, but they're tying it into these, like these kids' personal stories. And um, the big toe in that in that story, uh, a kid is gardening and he just puts the uh, he finds a toe in the dirt and he shows it to his mom and she's like, "That looks like a nice piece of meat. I'll put it in a stew for the night." And they ate it. And you know, towards the end of the book and at the end of the story, like what happens in the movie, the, the lady wears my toe is like creaking through the hallway and he's like under his blankets, like, Oh my gosh. And stuff like that. Um, and at the end it says like scream to the person to your right or something like that. You've got it or something like that. And it freaks, you know, I guess it freaks people out if you're, if you mm -hmm. play it off correctly. Gotcha. Um, but like, I guess it's kind of, of all the stories that are in this, uh, in these books, that's a weird one to use, mm -hmm. I guess. It's not scary. It's more of like a gross shock factor. And then adding the lady coming for the toe afterwards, I guess, is. Yeah. But it, I thought it was kind of weird. I, I would have liked to see some other stories from the book uh, being put in there. I mean, what I get with part two? So. Oh, that is true. I forgot there's going to be a sequel. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll I'll take that back. But um, but yeah, uh, but of all of them, yeah, I, I do think the big toe was a strange one. I guess it being the first movie kind of get the uh, really subtle ones out of the way because it's a very subtle one. But let's talk about the dream really quick, like the book uh, with uh, Chuck yeah. and how he was absorbed in the hallway. And like Hayden had said, yes, Augie had gotten on him, I guess, for eating. I missed those. I Yeah, now that you mentioned it, Hayden, you're, I do remember him, uh, yeah, Augie getting after him for it. I guess it wasn't played up as much as I was expecting, uh, as much as I would have expected it to be. But you're all right. He does bring that up. He does talk to Augie like, you know, 
<laughs> Why are you beginning with time? the candy? Yeah. And then when they're talking about the uh, the book and Augie's playing the voice of reason. That's true. We didn't yeah. see anything in the house. He's eating a sandwich. He's like, you know how many things are, how many animals are in that? Yeah, seven. Right. Red how then many a magazine. animal parts are in yeah, like, seven. Yeah, yeah. Red then a magazine. Well, he's, he's critiquing him for eating again. And then. And then we get the French fries, and he's like, "Oh, I got ketchup on my shirt." And mm-hmm. uh, then eventually, it's the dream, and he gets consumed. So it's right. one thing leads into another. Yeah, and you do get to see uh, with especially this story because he's, you know, as you were just talking about, it's that fear, or I mean, not the fear, but maybe there's like a character trait about him that he needs to change, right? And he's always kind of goofy. He never really, never really does much except for be afraid and be goofy. And maybe it's like you know that fear. Uh, that has manifested inside of him. Like he had talked about, it. he was always having this dream that you just can't shake until it finally comes true. Um, it's that fear and uh, that character trait that about him that he can't, that he doesn't fix, is what causes his downfall. Right, and he's end up he ends up being consumed by something in his life that maybe is a fault with his character um, or whatever. But either way, he's not he doesn't face it head on. He's running away from it the whole time, and it's kind of the same with. Uh, with uh with Augie's character you know he just runs away from this from the story once he finds out what's really going on instead of facing it head on um it's kind of also the same with uh the other two stories but they actually you know they actually do face it head on after running for so long they finally face it head on and then that's when they're able to overcome their fears um both that, that, that's with uh as and that's with Stella and with Ramon I'll be 100% honest. The uh, the pale lady with, you know, consuming Chuck, that that story of all of them, even though uh, Ramon's story being the probably the more personal one, the pale lady was the scariest for me. Um, that one was the most unsettling for me. Uh, primarily because, one, the sirens in the hospital. Two, the hospital itself. Yep. Hospitals freak me out. Three, the red lighting. Like, just bam like hitting right and he's like abandoned he's it's a maze at this point yeah it's playing off as a labyrinth yeah it was a labyrinth and um there's a little wink at del toro uh but um the and her being at the end of the hallway and not the thing that got me the most was not the fact that she wasn't like sprinting after him that's been done she was slowly moving and he couldn't escape it yeah it was like I, impending. I think it would have been a lot better. They showed a close-up of her way too early. If they just kept oh. her at that distance to slowly coming in and him freaking out as she's slowly cro- like coming in on him, yeah. rather than showing up, this is what we're working with. It's it's still back there. It's getting closer. And yeah. then finally at the end, right when she's up next yeah, to I wouldn't. I, I agree. I didn't like those like sudden close shots of her walking. Like, yes, yeah, she it's a shock. Not shock factor. It's. It's visually like scary. They did a great job. Um, and if you guys look up the picture of this creature, um, oh, I th- yeah, I think you showed it to me. Look under the dream, like Google it. Look up uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. The dream, and you'll see this picture. And then you look at the movie. It's a spitting image. Yeah, they 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 got it. Uh, they got it perfectly. And I was very very happy that they they got it perfectly. Yeah. But man, yeah, like Hayden said. It would have been better to like see her face in the final moments rather than because you, you the, from the distance, she's already terrifying looking. It's ominous. It's it's scary. Like you do not want to find yourself in that kind of a position. She is just grotesque, I guess, is what you could say. And to have something that you cannot escape like that. Yeah. To me is so scary. Yeah. 
So let's go ahead and talk about our main character then, because she is consumed by this force, maybe consumed, but she has this fear um, and she or mostly blames herself, I guess. It's partially a fear, but she blames herself for her mom leaving, right? And then when when uh, when Augie dies, then she blames herself for Augie's death, right? So she feels she's taking, you know, there, she feels like she needs to take the responsibility for those around her, uh, especially those that she loves most. And she's also taking care of her dad because, again, she also feels like, you know, it's her fault she feels that her mom left the family when we find out later that's not necessarily the truth or not the case um mom left because well, we i guess we don't really ever find out why mom left like the real reason we are given some kind of generic she felt like it was she knew it was something wrong with her so she had to leave that was about as far as it went um but either way you do there is a connection between the character of sarah and what happens to sarah and or what happens to her in the past and our main character now where they both, Sarah was blamed for doing for doing something, um, and then when she tried to speak out on it, she uh, that's when the family you know blamed her for it, and then you know cast her down for it, and that's what caused her to then flip back. And then our main character blames herself already for certain things, and maybe is going down the same path as Sarah, and might end up like Sarah at the end if she doesn't you know face her fears and fix what needs to be fixed. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on our main character in general and her and her path? Um, I like the connection between her and Sarah. Um, I wish we got more substance of the relationship with her and her mom or the reason for why she left, not just the fact that, hey, there's this extra drama and it's right here um, to give our character something more to her. Yeah. I w- like I just I just I, I can't get emotionally attached to it if I don't have anything other than the fact that, hey, it's right here. You know what I mean? Right. So that being said, um, that being the the thing that really holds together our character in terms of the drama that she faces, it's hard to get behind if I'm not emotionally attached to it. She, I mean, the movie tried giving us that when she was about to, you know, get thrown in jail and she calls her dad and she's like, you know, don't, don't think I ran away. And she's like, I love you and stuff like that. And he's like, your mom leaving was not your fault. And he was, oh, he was overplaying it in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like a theater performance rather than like a, serious movie in a scary movie but yeah no i i agree well, i don't think he would have been overplaying it if we knew why she left or had seen the relationship we're also yeah. missing like a lot of stuff from the dad all we see is him sitting on the couch for the longest time and yeah her i mean that's him true. Theater, and that's then true. he's off to work the next time we see him yeah so i feel like we're missing from the dad and from the mom and we're trying to build a character off of two missing pieces. That's writing That's a, a dialogue. Don't you dare blame Dean Norris. He's phenomenal. <laughs> Who's Dean Norris? The, <laughs> the guy dad, who wrote this. Though, yeah. What's look, his it's name not is Dean's bad. fault. No, it's whoever I, wrote his character and yeah. didn't explain it or yeah. cut it out in post. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you're right, Andrew. The, there are some weird editing choices in this story. The dad is one of them um, where, you know, as you were saying, he's kind of in the background. It feels like our... Uh, when we're introduced, it feels like Stella is taking care of her dad, who's more or less inebriated, or he's like you know he's he's bedridden or staying at home all the time. But then we find out a little bit later in the film, you know, he's going he's going to work. So maybe he's playing, maybe he's more of a drunkard than he is um, something that you know needs to be taken care of all the time. Um, it, it's I don't know. It doesn't really give us a distinction as to what is going on there with Stella and her father. It doesn't really it doesn't really give us that. There's really not a lot we could work with at this moment. I'm yeah. sure he'll be a bigger part in the sequel yeah yeah and and yeah i mean 
that kind of goes to, I guess, one of my other criticisms, and that is with the story, um, it feels kind of bare bones. I think that really the only two characters that are developed enough are Stella and Ramon. And that's because, especially in this ending scene, when they have to face their fears um, and with these scary stories that are being written about them, uh, you know, they feel like they have a lot more emotional weight to them than the other stories that came before it. So I, I like these two characters, and I know we'll get them at least Stella in the next one, because they start up on the next one. But I, I do kind of wish that they would have also gone deeper with the other characters here, because they feel like they're rather surface level, especially the dad. The dad we hardly touch on at all. Um, and kind of the other two friends as well, Augie and Chuck, also feel like you know they don't have a whole lot to them either. I feel like Chuck's the one we're missing out on. So, or Augie. I feel like Augie's yeah, the one Augie, we're missing out yeah. on a lot because even his scary story that he was given <laughs> doesn't really attach to him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I was saying uh, a little bit earlier is I didn't I was wondering what you guys if you guys picked up like what his story was about, like why his story was the one that it was. At least was, like, we had more for Chuck or not Chuck. We had more for the jock. Yeah, we like, at least he had yeah. a scarecrow that he beat up every day. <laughs> right. And right. that's something more than eating a toe out of a stew that had nothing to do with our character. Right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so what do we think about this ending then? The the ending, like, last scene. um, Because I, I kind of feel like I saw them setting up this whole movie to be a sequel from the very beginning. Uh, maybe that's not what you guys saw, but that's what I saw. What do you, what do we think about this ending? I was, I was expecting, like, either the friends were going to come back in the very end with the final confrontation of Sarah, like, once Sarah was defeated or something like that, I, I assumed, okay, they're going to probably you know, come out of the wall or something weird like that or the mist and all hug and do their classic cliche whole thing. Or they're just dead. And I was ready to accept both and be like, okay. Um, but I didn't see a sequel at the very beginning. Like I thought it was just going to be standalone and they were taking the best of the best stories, I guess, because from what I had seen from the trailers, I was seeing like the ones that really stood out in the books, the ones that really had the pictures, mm. um, the ones that had the creatures. So I thought it was going to be a standalone. And then when they set up for the sequel, I'm like, okay. So, and like you had said, uh, they probably saved some of the other stories for the sequel. So I'm excited to see which ones they throw in there. But and we're also falling into a sequel with a uh, character we really don't know, which is Papa. Uh, and the sister. That's oh, true. They were all, well, yeah, yeah, we had, they mm. brought the sister back. And I was like, oh. I will say they really focused on jump scares to deliver oh, no, to did. deliver a lot of these scares. And I was so mad about that. Like the pale lady, first and foremost, didn't have any jump scares. That's why I loved it. It was so ominous. She was coming. It was inevitable. He was running. She was getting closer. That's scary. The big toe, however, he's like under the bed for like, a solid 10 seconds it's just quiet and you're like okay here it comes that's not scary anymore because you know it's coming he looks over the bed it's the slow like rise over the bed to look and then uh, oh even when uh, stella was in the place of sarah and she, you know they mistook her in that flashback or something as sarah she's under the table and like the foot feet come over to the edge of the table and they just stand there and they just sit there for like five seconds and then Boom! Then he looks under. It's they like, give you come like twenty on. seconds. They give you twenty they seconds you to tense to up enough for it to not be scary anymore yep. by the time it comes. That's why I love jump scares that aren't even enforced by the soundtrack. Even if you can do it without 
the soundtrack, I think that speaks a ton on behalf of setting up a good jump scare. Yeah. That and and the the moment of silence, the the calm before the storm, if you can get rid of that and just so for example, with the woman with the toe, I was thinking of all these jumps or these scary uh, moments and the lady in the hospital, if they just kept her at a distance, that would have been so uh, terrifying because like, what are we working with here? We don't know. Or if the lady with the toe, she's kind of just creeping around the house, coming up. He's like, oh, is she, is she on top of the bed? Oh no, she's underneath the bed. What if like, they had just taken the scene of her like coming around the corner when she's walking down the hallway and then just books it at him, but no soundtrack at all. Think of how terrifying that would have yeah, been. Some of they them- have so much potential, but it's just, they, they play on the cliche and a ton, and I'm not saying it's a terrible movie but they play on the cliche way too often Mm -hmm. i've seen some of the most effective scares in movies have come from the silence and uh i'm gonna kind of jump to really quickly hereditary as to why the scene where she's leaving the the art room or her work room she turns off the light and looks and there's like a figure of her mom just in the corner there's yeah. no jumps. And I know you and I, Tommy, we watched this movie. This not don't watch it. It's not worth the time. But the gallows. Yeah. There is one part we we didn't like it at all because no, it's it terrible. Yeah. Found footage taking place in a school. It yeah. Just, all it, so cliche, the stupid characters. I hated it. Yeah. But there was one scene that genuinely got both of us. And it's like, I mean, it like kicked, like made me kick my feet back. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was genuinely that it was genuinely scary. Um, at least everything, all things considered in that movie. Uh, there is a shot, uh, and I think it's actually on the front cover. Um, it's that scene on the front cover. The girl's like, you know, she's hugging her knees, her head's down. She's hugging her, her head's down. And then all of a sudden this figure from the back just starts moving forward. And you 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 don't really notice it until it's too late. You don't notice until he's like five feet behind her. Then you're just like, oh my gosh, something's moving. And then there, bam, there it is. Yeah. Only effective thing in that movie. Yeah. However, this movie. And there was no sound either. There was no sound with that when he came forward. Right. With the gallows, there was no sound. But in, in scary stories to tell in the dark, it was like, we're going to cut everything prepare you for five seconds straight with silence seconds it was so poorly done it's just like don't rely on jump scares to deliver these like you guys have got some wild creatures to work with here and wild scenarios play with those really come up with a scenario that's going to be effective because man jump scares i they make me physically aggressive and angry i hate them they can be done they can be done very very well but uh, most times they are done only to Get the fact, don't they just get the scare out from the audience? It doesn't feel like they're like genuinely set up correctly. Again, there could be, it could be done very well, but it's rather rare. I feel like this movie has, it, it settles on a lot of things to tell its story that people already understand. Yeah. So it's nothing like, nothing to drive a little bit more than what it should. It's more or less, we're going to set it up for you. And you can probably figure out a lot of things that are coming. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I was wondering at the beginning, like, you know, is this movie, is it like genuine? Is it like, uh, you know, trying to go, is it purposefully going for those cliches? Right. I was wondering if maybe that was the case. If no, they were genuinely going for this. If not, then whatever. But I was wondering if that was the case. That is a question. But then it set too many things up. And then, and then once they started like cutting things like editing wise, I'm like, "Mm yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up? There are colors, just like Swiss Army Man. That was last week. That's right. Yeah. Stinking blue shadows and orange highlights again. But on this one, at least it's a little bit more understandable because it's the clashing of it. Yeah. Whereas 
It was it's clashing more in this one than it was in the other one. Also, there is a scene where they were in the hospital and there's li- orange light coming up to her face from nowhere. Yeah. I oh, yeah, don't know where that, that light came from. You did point that out to me, Andrew. Yeah, you did. I didn't understand it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up then. Uh, so Andrew, Hayden, Tommy, what are your final thoughts? We'll start with Tommy and then we'll go Hayden and then Andrew and I'll, I'll finish this up. So Tommy, what are your final thoughts? To be honest, uh, a little disappointing, but I half expected it to be. Uh, the visuals were great and beautifully shot for the most part, but the score was not anything special, which is what I always look for. Uh, the actors at times were over the top, but I think that's because of the writing, uh, poor writing, and they didn't really have a whole lot to really dig deep into. But seriously, I know I, I'm like a, I'm I'm a huge for the books because I just grew up with them and nostalgic uh, with them. But go check out the storybooks; you might be able to find it at your uh, local elementary school's Scholastic Book Fair. Be warned, the the pictures are unsettling. They're really grotesque. But as for the movie itself, I give it a 6 out of 10. And it's definitely skippable. But, you know, if you're looking for a fun filler Halloween movie, check it out. All right, Hayden. Um, So I really do like scary movies. I love them. I wish there were more good scary movies because there are so few that decent scary movies. Um, and watching this one, what scary movies do best is play on the cliche, and that makes me so mad because it, it, this is so. This movie was so cliche, enjoyable, but so cliche, so surface level. Tommy kind of got me thinking about this with his last one. I, I have to say it before this is over. I'm. A horror movie has to have a good soundtrack, and it did not. This had a blockbuster soundtrack, mm-hmm. and horror movies had so much potential to have good soundtracks, and that made me so... I wrote that down, and I was so furious listening to this because horror movies have the potential to have the best soundtracks, and mm-hmm. some of the most uh, emotion... Like, they, they'll capture you with their soundtracks. The sound design is really what you want. Yeah, and so yeah. I was so upset about that because I genuinely enjoy horror movie soundtracks, and so I was... Uh, completely upset about that and then once again playing on the how cliche this story was um that being said it was a fun watch because of how good it looked and regardless there is some uh there is a nostalgic aspect in a group of kids fighting uh this chaos that's just that's something that's very comfortable and cliche and nostalgic um that being said i give it a six out of ten all right andrew yeah i agree with tom and hayden this kind of was stereotypical set up the same way that a lot of them were set up um cinematically though i wasn't all it wasn't anything new i mean it was like oh this is going to be completely red the cinematography was not bad but it wasn't anything that stood out to me really it's kind of just stuff i've seen before nothing really all that to add to the story other than stuff you would see. Now there was obviously a couple of choices where they could have, you know, not taken the close up or just stayed back, maybe flowed around with the camera a little bit more. And they did that a couple of times, but that's kind of like, Oh, here's the script. The script kind of reads what the camera's going to say. And that's all right. If you're going to make something like this, but they could have at least pulled a couple more strings and changed some things around. But other than that, yeah, Six out of ten. I guess uh, I'm trying. See, I'm trying to figure out what you know because this is a 
PG-13 horror movie and they're going for the audience that's, you know, closer to middle school to uh, freshman at high school age, maybe in the sophomore or high school age, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how much of it is stuff I, I don't like and how much of it is stuff that I don't like, but I think still works within the story. Um, you're, yeah, we're all, you know, we're all seem to be pretty much in agreement here. Uh, there, it, this does kind of play on a lot of cliches to a point where, you know, it kind of, I think, loses its own identity. Um, as we talked about it, uh, we kept talking about it. And that's because it had already done this a few years prior before this came out. Um, and that kind of, I think, in my own mind, after seeing it and now seeing this, I can't help but think of it, uh, which, again, very, very similar. So I don't know. I mean, I guess in some ways I do enjoy it because I think that for a PG-13 horror movie, it's better than most. Um, but for a, a it is, you know, a movie after all, um, not just a PG-13 movie, but just a movie in general. And so I have to judge it with that. You're right, Tom. The soundtrack is not good. <laughs> there really isn't anything to this. Um, there are some elements that I do enjoy, and that's with our mostly with our two main leads, Ramona and Stella, um, that I did kind of get into. But at the same time, they weren't explored like we were all talking about. They weren't explored a whole lot. So I think it's I think at the end of the day, it's fine. Um, I will probably keep the Blu-ray, um, even though it's I'm kind of, you know, eh, about it. Um, luckily, I didn't spend too much on it, but. At the end of the day, I I might return to it in the future. We'll see. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a 5 out of 10, but still a, a mild recommend. It's one of those where, you know, if you liked it, I think you would like this one. Um, if you haven't seen it, then you, I think you would still like this one. But it does play on way too many cliches for me. All right, well, thank you guys for joining me. Um, I'm glad we actually got to talk about this. This is a new one for all of us, I think. So, uh, except for Tommy had read some of the stories, but that was about as far as, you know, that, uh, that had, went. Yeah, just because I read those books, I had no idea what I was getting into. So yeah. we were all experiencing this for the first time together. Right. So, you know, it's kind of cool to have all four of us and Hayden as an, our first time guest on the show, um, having, you know, all of us have to sit down and talk about a movie that we haven't all haven't seen yet. Kind of is new to everybody here. Um, except for Tommy, kind of, you see, you know, has, back, has some background with it. I right, well, Tommy, Andrew, Hayden, thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining Alright, well, thank you listeners for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week with Chronicles of Narnia, The Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes! I'm very excited for that. Yes! One, it's kind of a nostalgia bomb for all of us, so we'll see how that discussion goes, but I'm excited. So, we'll see you next week, listeners. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, 
please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Say your name. Hayden Rankin. Yeah, Hayden. So, yeah, all four of us Rankin boys are here today. Go easy on Hayden, you guys. He's really nervous. Yeah, he's, he's, fully he's admitted stressed it out. This is far he, beyond his capability. When he came in just a second ago, <laughs> <laughs> when he came in just a second ago, he was like, he was just stressed out, had no idea what to do. Um, no, but for real, though, I'm happy that you're on, Hayden, because um, I know we, we had talked about how... <laughs> Can't step one. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can't even get the words out. No, it's exciting that he's here. And they had no correlation with each other. They were just simple story collections. Okay, give me one second. No. Stop. You're done. I'm I forgot take to look this up podcast. I forgot to look up money beforehand. Oh my word. Just give me one second. I'm writing it all down now. Hmm. He's been doing this for two years? Two years. Two Three years. years. Yeah. Four years. 2016. Four years. 2016 was the first time. I fun counting. fact. Fun fact about Hayden is that he didn't come in prepared, so we had to put a sock over his mic. Oh, his and own sock. His own sock that he had been wearing all day. Awful. And I'm getting ticked. <laughs> he rubbed his eye with it. I told you, Hayden. You're <laughs> gonna get pink eye. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Hayden. I told you to bring your own sock, but you're, you're making me nervous. Now I'm a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna stutter over his words. The, <laughs> most likely be in the bloopers. Judging by money, apparently a lot of people did go to see it. I forgot what I was gonna say. You're really bad at this. <laughs> Says you, okay, you. Hey, Hayden's boy. got his shirt off. Give me, give me two seconds to readjust because it's getting too much of my. Hayden's got his shirt off. Peas and peas. You like that? <laughs> give me two seconds. I'm gonna take my shirt off because I'm sweating because I'm so nervous. Hayden's got his shirt off. Remember when I had my wrong. shirt off? And every time I think yeah. I was saying something wrong, I, I remember that. went like crazy. Okay. I'm almost done, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that, dang it. No, he just consumed his entire microphone. <laughs> I was thinking about doing that when you introduced me, being like, and my cousin, or Anne, introduce yourself. <laughs> That's why I started yeah. laughing so hard, and instead I just went, I just, instead I just went, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> if it didn't move, dang it! It's got spit right, let's get back on track. All right, hey, give me one second. I can't remember how to do this. Rocket surgery. No. You good, Andrew? No. Okay. Does that sound better? All right. Yeah, yeah that sounds actually way better. Are you good, Andrew? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Walkie-talkie to each other. Not yep. texting, obviously. 1968, you didn't have it.
Wait, right. what? Yeah, this is a 1968. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but say, where were you? <laughs> I was here the whole time. Nixon wasn't president in 2016. They were just playing reruns. What? What? Being stupid, we can move on. Okay. <laughs> it's like Hayden said, there's like the voice of reason and there's a good balance to it all. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I thought, no, that I thought was, he had wow, more that, to say. I that died at, quick. I know. No, just agreeing with Hayden. I didn't. I I was assuming that he'd probably jump in on that too. No, so. I I do agree that. I right, well, what do okay? What do you guys? What do we think about the ending then? Too much dialogue. Hang on, Hayden's got something to say. <laughs> this is the exact. <laughs> don't put this in there. This is exactly what I thought about. You said exactly. I'm like exactly, exactly. Egg. Egg used to... <laughs> 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 That's what I was going to do. That's why I started laughing. <laughs> yeah, we had a little bit of room. I kind of like it because it's like we still have our main character that we're going to follow with these two other... Well, I guess one's older. But I feel like it's... Um... That's it. I lost track. Okay, uh, let me say something. Tommy, what are your final thoughts? Why do you get to go last? Because it's my podcast. Fair Why enough. do I get to go second to last? Because it's my podcast. <laughs> my podcast. We're going around in a circle. All right, well, Tommy, Andrew, Hayden, thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me. Welcome. Welcome. Andrew! <laughs> no, don't eat the mic. Ouch! Stop! Stop! <laughs> Why did you do that? My ears are ringing. <laughs> Ow! Why did you do that? <laughs> Hayden's laughing. <laughs> he literally ripped the foam uh, off of his mic. I ripped my headphones out because I heard so I didn't rip them out. But I took Man, I had to yank my Audio-Technicas out.